doing here <laughs> i forgot <laughs> this is jaime and i am joined by my wife who doesn't like to introduce herself she could if she wanted to but i'm just gonna <laughs> take ownership of the situation and welcome you all to our kids asleep as you may have noticed it's been about a year since we recorded since we've done anything so has it been like a full year it's been a full year as of this month it was good timing. Yeah. It just felt right, don't you think? <laughs> we were waiting. We were waiting for this specific moment. Mostly procrastinating and just avoiding responsibility. Yeah. Wouldn't you think? I mean, what happened? Let's start there and then we'll get on to uh, To be honest, I don't things. really remember why we stopped. I think it was a momentum thing where we just got so burned out from life Yeah. at the end of 2021 that we just said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It was like that meme, you know, where it's like me still trying to process 2020 and like the next year is looming. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. three years. And we realized, road. yeah, that there was still so much to do and so much to catch up on. But it feels right. I mean, it's one of those things that we had to process off the mic to be able to get back to the mic, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think wouldn't you say? Yeah, I I would say that. Yeah, so we're we're gonna try to get back on all cylinders. We're not gonna be hyped so much <laughs> as just mellow because it's almost ten o'clock on a work night, and so here we are trying to do our best. And I'm holding the microphone like a like the lead singer of Buck Cherry over here. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> Of all the bands to reference, <laughs> I, I knew why. I knew I'd get a rise out of you, but as Maddie's looking at the uh, the potential list of things to talk about. Um, I'm just going to riff on the uh, upcoming collapse of society as nuclear Armageddon is upon us. I know that the uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict is escalating. I know a lot of folks are going to be interested in that, but I kind of don't want to talk about it. I just want to acknowledge that we are on the brink of, of um, nuclear fallout. So make sure you get some canned goods. Put them in your basements and uh, make sure you review the routines on what to do in the event that you see the blast coming <laughs> on the horizon. Mm. Um, and just in case I don't hear from you, I love you all very much. I think it's <laughs> so very alarmist, very quickly. <laughs> I've been on I've been on the uh, the YouTube rabbit hole for a year. That's why nobody's heard from us in a while because you I've just, just become been a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to start a talk show. So, <laughs> Sorry, my cat just burped into the microphone. Oh, for God's sake. I don't know if anyone heard that. But <laughs> I heard it. It was loud and disgusting. Well, um, so tomorrow is Halloween. Yes. So I thought we could talk about some spooky things. I know we've talked about spooky things in the past, but... Um, maybe we could talk about new spooky things. So let's talk about a new old spooky thing because you've come upon one of the Stephen King gems that has transformed your October and you were so excited to read this book by the time you finished it. However, 
you did not feel too thrilled to have read the book. No, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't that excited to read it. Um, Why is that? Before this month, because I don't know. I think I had a weird, like preconceived notion about that book for some reason. I was, I don't know. It always kind of seemed like it fell into that category of books that he wrote while he was very, uh, under the influence. Mm-hmm. Which I think it still probably was, but um, I don't know. I just kind of always filed it in. It was worse. That's probably one that's too weird for me to enjoy. Yeah. He um, was too off the, yeah, off the rails yeah, at you know, the time. Like, I always kind of lump like Cujo and like Christine and mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I'm just not interested. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm writing those books off too soon too. Um, but I read Pet Cemetery. Um, for the first time this month. And the, honestly, what got me to read it was Guillermo del Toro. Um, and I he listened, was on King Cast? Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to an episode of King Cast that you recommended. You mm-hmm. recommended that podcast to me, but um, I just, I kind of scrolled through their feed and found one that, that he was a guest on. And, you know, the, the format of that podcast is like they, they will sometimes talk to like a famous person and just discuss their relationship yeah, to Stephen King. Usually. Yeah. Um, and his Guillermo del Toro's, I think it was the first Stephen King book he ever read. Was what, yeah. Pet Cemetery. One of the first. And um, he was like 15 or something when he read it the first <laughs> time, like really young. And he said to this day, it is still the most terrifying book he's ever read. Mm. And, um, so I was like, okay, well, if it's good enough for Guillermo del Toro, then it's good enough for me. So I kind of filed that away in my head as the next Stephen King book I was probably going to read and, um, decided that October was as good a month as any Mm -hmm. to read it. So thankfully, uh, it was on good old Libby for free. Check out Libby. We are not sponsored by Libby, but you should definitely check it out from your library. It's a wonderful digital component to this incredible free resource that we all have, the library. Go support. Shout out. Shout out Libby. Anyway, Um, continue. So I got it. Yeah, I got it on Libby and I devoured the book. And um, it really was, I think, next to It and The Shining, it was the scariest Stephen King book I've ever read. And that's a surprise to me because that's a book that I still haven't read. Yeah. Of all the ones, that that's one. And honestly, I haven't read many Stephen King books after my, like, it's been about 10 years. You know, like, I would read maybe one or two of the big ones. But once I had my Stephen King phase, it seemed like I just stopped reading them. And you've been in sort of like up to date with a lot of the new books that have come out and have discovered him sort of later on in life. And now you've read a lot of his stuff. You have gone through quite a bit. So I'm curious where you feel that it fits in the, I guess, echelons of King work. Yeah. For me, it's really high up there. Um, I don't know, man, like this book is just, it's, it kind of, for me, it was like scary for two different reasons. And I think 
for most people, those two reasons would be very obvious. Um, you know, the this isn't really a, a spoiler because he addresses it in the foreword to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the foreword to the book, he explains that this book came out of a situation where I, he had, Stephen King had been appointed to a guest lecture position at the University of Maine uh, in like the late 70s. And so he and his family moved to be nearer to the university. Um, and the, the, the house they moved into was next to this really busy road. And he, he had a young, his daughter was young at the time, like two or three. And she, there was an incident where she ran toward this busy street and there was a truck Mm. coming and he pretty much was like, if I hadn't been there and caught her before she went into the street, she would be dead. Jesus. She would not have yeah. made it. And so he pretty much was like, when I started writing this book or when I got the idea for writing this book, it was born out of that incident and me imagining the worst case scenario in mm. that in that situation. What would have happened if I hadn't caught her? And I just wrote that. And then it's amazing. So, so <laughs> yeah. in in that forward, he kind of, and this isn't again, this isn't a spoiler because it's very clear from the get go that something very bad is going to happen to this family. Mm. Um, so the the whole um, angle of this book is approached from the the vantage point of deep grief and how that affects everyone. You know, the mother, the the dad. The the story is told from the perspective of the dad. Um, and then the the other child. Mm. And um it's just kind of like this I think what caught me off guard about the book was that it wasn't just a scary book about things coming back to life, which is kind of how it's sold. Sure. Um and kind of what I imagined I was in for. So when it kind of took this really (laughs) realistic turn into this meditation on loss and grief and just like the maddening uh, effects of grief. Sort of the irrational and extreme actions that one would take to try to mend whatever is going on or whatever heartbreak occurred. Yeah. it's just, and just, you know, obviously in, in typical Stephen King fashion, he just winds that out. He spins that out to the worst possible conclusions. And, like, I got to the end of the book, and you, the last line of the book is so terrifying. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't, there's no relief at the end of the book. It with, just stays with it you. It just stays yeah. with you, and, like... It's horrifying, and um, yeah, I don't know. It was really, I, I mean, I can't imagine having read this as like a younger person. Uh, so I don't have that perspective, 
but reading it as pretty much the same age as those parents. I mean, they were in their like mid thirties. Jesus, with yeah. two young children, you know. So I'm I was almost like exactly the same point in life as these people. So that was really that was <laughs> that was rough. Um, yeah, it just. I mean, you don't have to be a parent to to understand grief in any way. Um, but there's an immediacy if you can yeah, relate I mean, to the character in that way because yeah. those components are very much in there. That yeah, I mean, it, it just saves the work. Like matched yeah. up, matched up exactly to to where I am in my own life, and uh, yeah, it's just it's horror. And he doesn't. The book does not. There's no cutting away in this book. Mm. There's no cutting away from the funeral. There's no cutting away from the grief. There's no cutting away from the the domestic um, horror that comes after the death of a child. Like, nothing. He doesn't shy away from any of it. He just spins it all out. <laughs> and he makes you read all of it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It was just kind of like a the way he wrote that book was fearless. It was fearless. Well, as you said, it seems like... In order to process the what-if scenario of his own child potentially going, I think that in typical Stephen King fashion, he goes there to make amends with it, mm-hmm. right? To see it through. Yeah, I guess so. And, I mean, that's like you said, that is a, a very brave thing because not many can do that in a way that is also entertaining for folks Mm -hmm. or in a way that people can have a way in to that yeah Yeah, and then you know on top of the the human aspect of the book which is way more it was way more about that than i expected it to be Mm. but the the, like the scary kind of supernatural part of it is so unsettling um in a way in in a in a subtle way that Stephen King maybe usually isn't so subtle about some things, but the 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 idea that of bringing a living thing back to life or a dead thing back to I life. mean yeah sorry yeah. bringing a dead thing back to life um and the idea that okay yeah maybe this is possible in this scenario but that that thing isn't going to be the same as it was in life yeah so you're gonna get it back but it's not there's a price to pay yeah there's there's it's not gonna be what you knew and Mm -hmm. so like through a lot of the book the cat is the thing that he brings back and the cat is not it's not the same Mm -hmm. and everybody knows it well the, the husband knows because he's the one that did it but Everybody in the house knows something is wrong with the cat, but they don't know what it is. It's some unnameable thing that's that he's just different. Sure. And uh, even with an animal, like the, it's just the way he explains the difference in the animal is just, it has stuck with me even a month later. Mm you know, a few weeks later. It's just a very overall unsettling book. 
<laughs> and uh, I'm surprised you you even finished reading it because you uh, do have a propensity for uh, just getting anxious sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's but you stuck it out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm a lot more resilient when it comes to reading a book. Um, yeah, that's upsetting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it, it was a real surprise um of a book and i can't believe it took me that long to read it Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean i think you know and i've heard from people that the like the movie adaptations are lackluster um i know there's a really new one that i haven't haven't seen but um that maybe that maybe is better i don't know but um i feel like it would be hard to do this book justice um, because it, it does seem like kind of a hokey premise, but he just, it's not about so much about that. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe the movies are too focused on the, the supernatural the part of it. Of yeah. It. Right. Um, Cause it really, for me was not about that. Mm-hmm. And it was almost secondary to, yeah to the real meat of the story, which was yeah. the family. Um, anyway, I mean, that's, that's Stephen King for you though. It's just like sprinkling this horrific kind of supernatural thing over very real problems. Yeah. Very real, like human experiences. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I, but it's up there for me. I would say top five, um, for for him. And, you know, obviously I haven't read every book of his, (laughs) but, um, it's, it's very much worth maybe even skipping the movie <laughs> and just what, reading the book because I'm not sure you could ever do it justice. Yeah. I'm going to see if it's available and I'll, I'll have to check it out here I since I'm done newest with this one, one. I think the newest one was a Netflix. Uh, yeah. They're doing a few of his. Yeah. yeah. I want to watch uh, Gerald's game. Cause I know that one. Uh, Is that Mike Flanagan? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Did he do pet cemetery? I don't, I, I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm out of the loop. On Gerald's game one. is a, it's interesting. Yeah. I should revisit that one. Yeah. You got to watch Midnight Mass though before you uh yeah. you get into it. Yeah. I mean that that right there for me I'd say is the one of the best things I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Like it checks all the boxes for me. Did you rewatch it this month at all? No, I haven't had a chance to, but it's going to be amazing. Even if it's after Halloween, I'm yeah. going to have to get through it one more time. Yeah. But I hope that uh uh yeah, you enjoyed Pet Cemetery though. Yeah. Yeah, it was very uh I want you to read it cuz I I know. I yeah, cuz like I, need to talk I think to we got to have a full it. conversation yeah. about it, right? So, this is this is a like a pre pre-game kind of thing where I'm glad that we got to let you get your thoughts out. Um but yeah, I need to need to catch up on it. Mm-hmm. But you said that you hadn't read any books and now you're you you just don't <laughs> stop reading like well, i don't know where you get this idea that you i mean you have so read books that was, that was a thing that was on the list of topics yeah. was a reading drought and he looked at me like i was crazy like that's insanity reading like drought? i look away for a second you're already reading another book <laughs> well, and it doesn't to, make sense to me compared to the summer i feel like i haven't i haven't read anything since august yeah, I read a shit ton in the summer, and that's yeah. very uncharacteristic of me. I mean, I we I, we did um we did the library summer reading program um with, with our, our son. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly for him, but the librarians are always like, "You want to do it too?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, I want to do it." 
give me the adult one. And um, they actually did something different this year. They did, um, normally it's like a on paper, mm-hmm. but this year they just had you enroll in like this app and then you just track your reading through oh, the yeah. app, yeah. which was really great. Um, and it was perfect because now I can look back over the summer and remember exactly what I read. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long it took me and <laughs> yeah what cool. were your favorite summer reads i guess i should ask you because oh, you gosh. read quite a few yeah, i did read a few i'm gonna pull remember. up i'm gonna pull up the app because i don't really i mean i remember but it's nice to have it in front of me yeah i'm gonna say as you get prepared for that though my favorite books that i read were the ones that you recommended me or passed on to me i mean i have really good taste so well <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me what I know. <laughs> yeah, I um I recommended Piranesi to you. Yeah, I had bought Piranesi for you. Yeah, you did. That's right. For Christmas. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I don't know, I'm not in the right mood. And then <laughs> I eventually you got it. around to yeah. it. Yeah. And I gotta say, Piranesi was mind blowing and such a it was such a magical read. It was heartbreaking at times. It was just like, it took you up to the clouds. It was just that kind of like wonderful sort of journey into a world that was just really specific. And she writes so well. Mm-hmm. Like she writes really in a, in a beautiful way. Um, I can't stop thinking about plinths. I can't stop <laughs> thinking about, you know, the rising tides yeah. and the way the character saw the world very like, detail oriented and he was documenting everything and i don't really want to speak too much on it because i don't want to give much away mm-hmm. uh, on the book but it is like a real treat to yeah. to have read that book and it's a quick one and i think that's what made the summer so successful for me after not reading for a while was that the books that, that i was reading were shorter novels they were more on the the economic sort of end like one to 200 pages like 250 yeah. About um and that leads me to the other one which was um Sea of Tranquility which was yeah. such a goddamn great book. Yeah. I really adored that book. Uh because again it was one of those that checked all the boxes and again I can't really go into detail too much because the way it unfolded was just really masterful. I think that Emily St. John Mandel is such a phenomenal writer and I I guess I use the terms tidy and economic in the way that she writes, but she just moves. Yeah. You know, the the story just moves along so wonderfully. And the ideas are just so, um, I don't know, they're, they're just really fun, but it's also like it's a really intense kind of story too. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can talk about that later, but you got your list up, right? Yeah, I read six books over the summer. Um Piranesi was one of them. Piranesi was one that I think it was definitely up there for me. Simply because it is so uncommon to read a book where you just cannot predict where it's going. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I just could not wrap my head around the world she was building. Like, mm-hmm. Susanna Susanna Clark is the, um, the author. And... Um, it's a little slow to start, um, but I think if you stick with it, mm. it's worth 
sticking with. Yeah, and I think that's the the challenge, right? The invitation is is a tough ask in the beginning because the way that it sets up the world, you need to you need to invest in the character to understand how he sees the world. Yeah. And that does take a, a bit of tedium in the way that that the, the descriptions are taking place and there there might feel a, a bit of repetition in the way that it unfolds, but it is so worth it. Yeah. Because it, you know, when it kicks on, it, it just it takes you on a roller coaster. Yeah. It was really great. Mm-hmm. Um I also read Electra by Jennifer Saint. Um, she also wrote um, Ariadne, which I read last mm. year. Um, so this sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a trend necessarily, but there are. Um, it's a movement for sure. Yeah. There's so uh, Jennifer Saint and uh, Madeline Miller and some others are writing, rewriting these mythologies from the perspective of women um, the women of the story. So in this case, um, this book is from the perspective of Electra. And the thing with these is like, I always know how they end because I know the mythology mm-hmm. to, to some degree. I, you know, my memory doesn't serve me every time, but for the most part, I know how these things end and it's never good. Like it's <laughs> never good. <laughs> um, but the Jennifer Saint in particular um, she really writes engaging prose and um, is able to weave these stories from a female perspective in a way that is so, it's just engaging and exciting and heartbreaking. Mm. And, you know, in the, in the mythologies that we're familiar with, that we learned in college, there just isn't a lot of empathy for for the women in these stories i don't think and i mean that you know they're written by men they're written by you know these these interpretations that we know you know aristotle's uh aristophanes sophocles i mean the those were the perspectives that we had and that was it sure so i feel like these stories are like a second chance Mm-hmm. for these characters to get some vindication i don't know sure i mean i i can kind of see that but you also got to remember that the the way that you mention getting these stories again and having that kind of new rendition was a common thing i mean the beauty of dramatic irony is that everyone knew what was going to happen with all of these characters because they had told these stories time and again and it was just like whose turn is it is it euripides is it Aeschylus or you know Sophocles who's going to tell the story again but in this modern context I think that it's wonderful to see and again I haven't read this this one but just to see the trend remind us of how important these stories are Mm. to be retold again is is really exciting and I think I am going to read that one because it it does I mean you you've always given really awesome responses and I think, though, it's going to be tough for me to read something like that that isn't written by Madeline Miller. Because yeah. and I, <laughs> that and I writing, will say, that's a tall I order. Mean, Jennifer Saint is a great writer, um, but I don't know that anyone can touch Madeline Miller. I mean, I'm still, 
I'm still mulling over the way that she describes certain things in Song of Achilles. Yeah. I've never read a book like that. Yeah. I have to say that there's moments where I just feel like that's like the second coming of Shakespeare, you know, in the, in the ease of construction, you know, in the way that the, the entirety of language is just expressed with like an effortlessness. Yeah. In the way I that mean, she the only like, time you're going to get that is Cersei. Well, yeah. And uh, her new book is coming soon. Yeah. Yeah, she's almost funny. done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking so. of Madeline Miller, she had long, she has long COVID. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, I mean, one of the reasons maybe her, she said her book is taking so long is that she is suffering still. That sucks. Which yeah. Which is terrible. I read her Instagram post yeah. and that just seems like such a. Yeah, it sucks. Shitty deal. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was, uh, a lecture was really good, and I highly recommend it. Ariadne as well, if you're into, if you're into mythology, just pick them all up. Check it out. Just read them all. Go to your local bookstore. Yeah. Um, so I also read, um, Dave Grohl's memoir, uh, mm-hmm. The Storyteller, which was awesome. Um, just, I didn't know much about any of it really i mean i knew mm-hmm. some but it was cool to just read things from his perspective and um just read about all the crazy shit that happened to him <laughs> <laughs> and like you know his his yeah. upbringing and you know his time in nirvana and he's just had a wild life mm-hmm. really wild upbringing a really wild youth um as just this punk rock kid from dc like <laughs> Just really cool. And um, it was kind of sad because um, I read this book after Taylor Hawkins had passed away. But the book was written before. So there's a lot about Taylor in it. And uh, just makes you realize, like, how close they were and how, like, immediate brothers they were. Like, immediate best friends. Like, it's just like Mm -hmm. a kindred connection, you know? Yeah. Which makes it. Um, even sadder that he's passed away yeah um and that came out of the blue too i mean that was already a few months ago right yeah i want to say earlier this year was it in the summer i think it was the beginning of summer yeah it wasn't it wasn't very long ago um it's devastating but it's a great it's a great book um if you love if you like the foo fighters if you love dave grohl it's worth it's it's required reading (laughs) um yeah, and then a couple other books I read. Girl in Ice um, is was okay. What was that one? It's about Who a, that um, uh, Erica Ferencik. Um It's about a woman who is a she's a linguist. Her expertise is in um, dead Norse languages, <laughs> and she um, her brother is uh, murdered. Or is he's killed or dies? He's a a researcher in the Arctic, and oh, yeah. they yeah. she gets a call after his after he passes away that um, his partner up there has made a discovery in the ice of a girl that's frozen, mm. um, and they successfully unfreeze her, and she's speaking in a language that no one like no one recognizes, and so they bring her up to try to decipher what this girl is trying to say and so it's just sort of um her trying to solve the mystery of her of her brother's death 
and also try to solve the mystery of this girl that they found in the ice. Mm. Um, it was just kind of like a mystery thriller. Um, it was pretty good. I hadn't really read anything quite like that before um, with that kind of plot. Um, but I, I don't, it wasn't like my favorite book of the summer, mm. I don't think. Um, and then I read two other books, The Second Cut by Louise Welsh and The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Um, both were very good. Um, the Midnight Library I liked a lot. Um, and The Second Cut was pretty good as well. Um, Louise Welsh is a Scottish writer. Um, and this is the second book in this series. They're like 20 years apart, the books. <laughs> um, but it's pretty much just like the seedy underbelly of Glasgow. <laughs> and like all the crazy shit that happens uh, uh, there. So uh, I read some good books over the summer. Yeah. Um, but I would say like uh, after like August, around August, it kind of just, I don't know, like with the wedding, like Sam and Austin's wedding. Yeah. And then after yeah. that, it was just kind of like the decline into the, you know, school starting and all yeah that. i think so. when summer came to an end it was almost like back to reality yeah oop there goes gravity and, you know. <laughs> yeah i don't know my reading just kind of fell off after the <laughs> summer um pet cemetery was like the first one i read after yeah the summer so yeah i just felt like i had a lot going on i mean i was just kind of all over the place the last month and a half but i think hopefully in november i'll be able to get back into you know a little bit more enjoyable lighter reading um but things are good i mean i think generally uh we've been fairly busy but uh it's it's been a good i don't know i don't i can't even say it's been a good year because there's been so much <laughs> that that happened at the beginning of the year that it's 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 it got front loaded and it feels like i'm still recovering from the first couple of months of the year yeah how do you feel yeah yeah I think we're still, I don't know. It was a weird year. <laughs> yeah, very challenging. But yeah. I think the, the fun part is that now we have the next couple of months to look forward to and, you know, 2023 to, you know, start on the on the right foot, I think. We'll have another chance to get things going again. But what are you looking forward to here in the next couple of, uh, of months? Um... I don't know. <laughs> we we kind of did all our like our big things that we were gonna do in the fall already. We had some comedy shows planned, which we Yeah. We did and then I don't know, after October it was just kinda like, you know, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas and Yeah. But it's it's like uh like what do you call it? Like bedding in for the winter kind yeah, of thing. Kind of what it feels yeah. like. Cause, yeah. Cause like once you get past October, we don't really plan anything Yeah, out of town because it's just such a gamble with the weather. Yeah. So, um, you know, we went and saw Tom Segura on Thursday in Cheyenne and we bought those tickets like seven months ago and we were just like, well, this is it. This is it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah cross your fingers that it doesn't snow um because it certainly could um by yeah. that point so even planning something that late into october is a gamble right um yeah. but you know it was a gamble that paid off so 
Um, but I'm I'm very glad we got to go. Yeah, me too. It was a let's talk was, about it. That yeah. was worth it. Like Tom is selling out arenas all over the world. Yeah, and we saw him in a 1500 seat theater. Like it was pretty incredible. And I talked to you about this um, in terms of uh, an entertainer's ability to control a room, and I really admire that in comedians because they have a sense of the space a sense of the crowd and they do tailor the material a little bit based on what they're up against, but generally they're always just kind of leading the atmosphere of the space. And so like, I I just enjoy watching comedians in a smaller venue. Like I can't imagine going to like the Pepsi center or whatever to see, to see a comedian, you know, like it just wouldn't be the same. We had that opportunity with Tom, I mean, he did he did the ball. It's called the ball arena now, where the Nuggets play in July. And I was just like, eh, like, yeah. But then I, when his tour came out, like his tour schedule came out, I was like, okay, we could see him in Denver, or we could see him in Cheyenne. And we decide. I mean, yeah. When can we ever go see a comedian that big? That yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because we were talking about it the day before we went to the show. Tom sold out Wembley. Well, he... Or no, he, he moved the show to Wembley. He, he, the, they had such high demand in London that they moved venues, and now he's playing Wembley. Which is bananas. I mean, to see him in Cheyenne. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, the same It's day crazy, so but I, I think he wanted, like you said, to get it out of the way and say, hey, I did a show in Wyoming. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so, that's what it was. So, it definitely worked out. And it paid off for us. Yeah. Um, but it was nice, you know, if I hadn't ruined the trip by getting Walmart deli food, like we would have <laughs> been able to go out to eat, you know, when we got there, had a, a proper date, but I was like middle was, of the day. It was good. Just it was a weird myself. Cause we went to Cheyenne. We didn't have to leave as early. And yeah. So. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was fun. And, um, it's been kind of like the fall of comedy, like. We saw Tom, and then before that, we saw Nate Bargatze here. Holy shit. Can we talk about Nate Bargatze for a sec? We got to see him here in Casper. I I am so blown away by Nate Bargatze and his insane talent Yeah, <laughs> to make a crowd of people laugh without swearing. Yeah, without any kind of... You don't feel like you're missing a damn thing. No. And his delivery is spot on. His bits are just so clever Yeah, uh, <laughs> that he's one of my favorite comedians. I'll say it. Yeah. Front and center. Yeah, he's like, one of my favorites. We'd seen his Netflix specials and stuff, but I don't know. Seeing him live was a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he was amazing. He definitely he was, owned that room. He was worth because we almost didn't go, but it was yeah. worth it. Um, and then before that, we saw uh, Burt Kreischer, Mark Normand, and Shane, Shane Gillis, Gillis at Red Rocks. Yeah, which that was I, that was a riot. I had my reservations <laughs> about seeing comedians at Red Rocks because I've never been to an outdoor comedy show. Yeah, but um, it was still so fun. The crowd was a blast too, though. Like yeah. Burt Kreischer's crowds are yeah. <laughs> they're they're, uh, they're pretty out of control. Rowdy, yeah, rowdy, um, but fun. Um, yeah, it was such a fun night. Like, 
Normand is Normand. Like just he's just killing it with the bits. So yeah. like, yeah, he he's so funny with so few words. Um, and then Shane Gillis is just like a fucking phenomenon. Like, what is he? <laughs> I don't even know like how yeah, to describe I, Shane Gillis. Like, I I don't know. I think it, it's the fact that he has sort of like a, a conservative energy. Yeah, going to you know, to talk to anyone and everyone, yeah. you know, and I think that it serves him pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the crowd. He, he, he feels random, yeah. you know, but then he ties everything together because yeah. he's telling you stories. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I think he's pretty fearless. I think he's, yeah. he's doing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Um, but he was funny as hell. Yeah. I thought he was really, yeah, really funny. And then Bert just, being burnt just yeah you know it's like (laughs) just telling these he's he is like he's one of those people that comedians i think that he just has this like unnameable charisma Mm -hmm. you're just like why am i so invested in in these dumb shit stories you're telling like they're just so funny yeah and uh yeah i mean he's just i don't know He's magnetic. Even if you don't want to be pulled in, he's going to pull you in anyway. Yeah. Um, the moment he uh, takes off his shirt. Well, yeah. he didn't even take off his shirt. He came out without a shirt on because he was ready. Oh, did he? Yeah, he yeah. was ready. Um, but listen, I think that the world has been on fire so much that we need to look for outlets. We need to laugh our asses off yeah. and and really try not to think of catastrophe, impending doom yeah. as much as possible because, you know, Life's hard. Go laugh. Yeah. We laughed a lot this summer, and even though it was really hard. Comedy really shows hard year. are comedy shows are like the best. I don't know. Just you get to laugh for two hours. Yeah. I mean it's it's, it's cathartic as hell. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't need a laugh right yeah. now in this day and age? And this is like the gold the new golden era of comedy. Yeah. So yeah. So get out there, go laugh a little, enjoy yourselves. Well, who do you want to see? Um, Who's on your bucket list? Oh, shit. Because um, they're all going on tour next year. I'll have to look. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I haven't even thought about it, but uh, I want to see Tom Pop alive. I think it'd oh, be Tom really Pop fun. Would be good. Yeah. Um, I want to see Santino. Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee, if they go on tour for Bad Friends, yep. that would be amazing. Um, but, I want to um, see Sam Morrell. Sam Morell would be awesome. I want to see Duncan Trussell live. Yeah. Like, I think he would be, he would be great um, because he's just so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's great. Yeah. Um, I think he's, uh, he's wonderful. Love his podcast. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. Pete Holmes, of course. Yeah, cause, he'd be great. You know, Pete's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm jealous that Nick got to see him. Nick and Elu got to see him. Yeah, they went to a book signing, I think. Oh yeah, because he was doing his, his. They didn't see him. Um, yeah, I don't think perform. he did. It. I don't think he did stand up. I just think he was doing well, a book signing. Okay, maybe we'll invite them <laughs> yeah. if they're listening. Yeah. Hope you're not listening because it was going to be a surprise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we we lost all of our listeners in a year. I think everyone moved on, so we're okay. I think we're in in good good company to just <laughs> you know say whatever. Start um, a new. We are, we are. This feels like uh, the new chapter is upon us. I know some people who are going to be excited to see an episode pop up in their feed. Thank you for listening, (laughs) no matter where you are. Thanks for sticking it out. You're amazing. 
you're not going to get anything, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you. (laughs) You're the best. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good recap of uh, where we've been at. A lot of reading, a lot of laughing, um, a lot of spaghetti and meatballs. Right? I've been eating that too much. Yeah, I've been eating a shit ton of spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? You need to, yeah. <laughs> you need to slow down. You know, take it easy on the carbs. I'm I'm working on it. Do what I can. Can't promise anything. I'll make some vegetable soup this week or something. Yeah. Well, we always talk about this shit. Have you ever had a burger without bread? It's the fucking worst. There's recipes on the internet where they just say replace. The bread with lettuce. Like, and I'm like, oh, are you out of your goddamn mind? It's the same thing. You won't even notice. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and then, you know, when I make um, when I make my, like, my eggs and I want to have beans in the morning, I want to have some tortillas, a little bit of salsa or something, then I have that image of, like, a like some white lady blogger who's like, you should just enjoy the, you know, the thing. And you don't need bread or tortillas and i'm like i no i'm just gonna fast until i can have a tortilla again it's just one of those things uh it's very difficult but i'm trying to cut back i really am Mm -hmm. this is getting really depressing but i want to thank you all for your time for (laughs) for listening um just uh yeah we're back we're back baby we're live we're good to go We just stop before I start doing Nord Norman impressions. Yeah. Next time. (laughs) See you folks on the flip side. We love you. Take care. Bye.